Um, I'm going to do something tonight that I don't do very often. I built a sermon for our home congregation at College Park. And uh, I just kind of want to give you some background to that sermon and building that sermon. Then I'm going to give the sermon to you and I want you to make application to it best you can uh, here at Wheeler as well. Um, Jerry and I, I, let me back up, and I'm not saying any of this out of pride. I promise you I'm not. I just want to kind of tell you a story. January of 1983, I started doing full-time church work. And Lisa and I married that month, and we moved to Plainview, Texas. And we started working with uh, Jay and traveling with Jay and uh, Jay Henderson and uh, working with the congregation there at Plainview. We saw a, it was a great experience for Lisa and I, and I'm not saying Plainview is a perfect place by any stretch, but I, but I will tell you, they are fantastic people. They had a gr fantastic leadership, uh, elders, deacons in place. I, I saw a congregation functioning as a congregation in an amazing way, touching the lives of people, helping people, doing great things in a community, and is very inspirational to Lisa and I. We left there after a couple of years. We moved to Central Texas. We started working with a very small congregation, about 25 people, that was struggling and had struggled for years. And you try to go into that congregation and try to express that you can't keep doing the same things the same ways all the time and expect different results. And so you're trying to encourage them to do some things different, to start caring about what they're doing, taking care of business, that kind of thing. We lived there for a couple of years. Then we moved to another community down toward the Gulf Coast area and began working with the congregation. We lived there about eight years. And again, it was a smaller, struggling congregation. They were about uh, 30 people or so when we got there. That congregation grew to close to 100 people while we were there. And uh, we were thrilled to work with the congregation there, but it was kind of the same type thing. You went into the congregation trying to say, hey, guys, we got to care about what we're doing. we got to take care of business. Uh, how are we going to do things? How are we going to approach things? How are we going to do Bible studies with people? Things like that. And we lived there for about eight years, and then we moved from there to where I currently live. We moved to the north side of Houston and uh, in Conroe, Texas. We started a congregation in September of 1993. And we had 22 people that started that congregation. That congregation today is now what is called the College Park Church of Christ. It's got about 120 people or so. And, man, if we could hang on to the folks that, we've come, that have come through our doors and that we've studied with and cared about and loved and all that, I mean, we, we, the building wouldn't be big enough for the folks. that well, The congregation has just really worked. And, but the same thing, you're starting with 20-something people and you're trying to say, hey, what we need to do is good things over long periods of time, consistent things over long periods of time, care about the work of God, uh, preach the gospel, preach the truth. The truth saves, God's word saves, and preach salvation to a community, but care about it. Let's take care of it. Let's take care of business. And I will tell you over time, the congregation that I currently work with probably thought within themselves at some point in time is, why is Ty so worked up at times over what we're doing? And I don't know y'all's relationship 100% maybe with Sean that's here. Sean and I over the last 10 plus years, I've known Sean for years and years and years, but in the last 10 plus years, Sean and I, Sean and I have grown very close. And um, I've told Sean he's the only guy I've ever shared a bed with in Nigeria, but that's not true. I shared one with Justin Springer. So, uh, uh, but uh, 
Sean and I have spent a lot of time together down in the trenches and talking about church work and Nigeria and mission work and evangelism and those kind of things. And I, I know there's even time that even Sean's going, okay, Brother Ty, okay. You know, my ears, you know, give it some rest, you know, or something. And Brother Jerry Lowry in our part of the country serves as a co-elder with me in the congregation and he teases me at times he's going okay I took a long trip with Ty and my, my ear is tired you know we had to finally swap who was driving because Ty was constantly talking about evangelism and the work of the church and those kind of things and I, I, what I want to do is kind of explain to you and I tried to explain to our college park congregation why I'm that way and I'll tell you I am that way but there's a reason why I'm that way is since 1983, I've done a lot of meeting work, been in a lot of different congregations, had a lot of different experiences, and I will tell you that there were a ton of those experiences that were fantastic. There were congregations that took care of business, and it was just a joy to be there and to sing together with them and, and be a part of the work that they were doing in that congregation. But I've had some experiences that were not that way. And I want to share a few of them with you and maybe it will try to explain a little bit of the passion that sometimes I feel about why it's important as a church that we do what it is that we need to do. And I titled the lesson tonight, Don't Be That, and I took it from Revelations chapter, or Revelation chapter 3, verse number 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And here we've got the writing of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ that John has penned from the Isle of Patmos. And he says, I'm writing to the church at Laodicea. And I just want to tell you they weren't cold, they weren't hot, they were lukewarm, and the Lord didn't like it. And I'm just basically interpreting this verse this way. They didn't care about what they were doing. They weren't taking care of business. They didn't have a passion for it one way. They weren't working it the other way. They didn't care. So I entitled the lesson. I said, I'm going to put a lesson together. Don't be that church. And then I got to thinking, well, that's awfully negative. And Brother Sean's always talking to me about being more positive about things, you know, and that type of thing. So I changed the title of the sermon, and I changed it to Be That Church. And I'll show you that here in a moment. But I want to share with you a couple of things. The reason why I don't want to be that church, whatever, I don't want to be a church of Laodicea. I don't want to be the church that doesn't care. I want to be a church that says, take care of business. And I got to thinking about some experiences that I personally have had in certain places. And it's not everywhere. The Lord's church isn't this way everywhere. But there was a congregation... I promise you the baptistry had not been cleaned in 30 years. There was stuff floating that had been there a long time. I don't want to be that church. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be the church that doesn't care about the baptistry. I went in one Sunday morning with about 23 people. And we were visiting a congregation. And the congregation had about eight people. They went to church irregularly. So they filled their communion trays and they put eight containers with grape juice. Set it on the table. And then 23 people walked in. And of course panic ensued. The eight people that were there going, what are we going to do? We don't, we don't have communion for 23 people. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to be that church. 
I want to be the church that's expecting people to show up, not the church that has given up that no one's going to show up. And I'm telling you honestly, it was a challenge for them to put more containers on the, in their communion table than eight because that's what they were used to doing in this particular place. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go along. I was asked one time to come hold a meeting at a place. And the brother called me and said, you know, we'd like you to come hold a meeting for us. like you to come speak for us. Uh, but we'd really like you to ask you not to bring your family, if you don't mind. Now, I will tell you, across the board, that's not the experience you have in the Lord's church. But it was at this place. I don't want to be that church. I can't even imagine College Park inviting Sean and saying, Sean, don't bring your family with you. We just, we, we just don't want to put up with all the family stuff this week. You know, if you could just come preach a few sermons, that'd make us happy. There was a congregation that we worked with that one of the very first things we did says, guys, y'all need a sign. They had a sign. It said Church of Christ above the door. That sign was put there in about 1939, and this was 1980 whatever, the time. And I mean, the paint was half flaked off. You could still read Church of Christ in the background of the thing. But it was just an old warped wood, hand-painted whatever sign that hadn't been touched in years. So one of the very first things, we're going to have, we got to do something to look like we're alive. We got to mow the yard, you know, going to have to paint the building, put a roof on the building, shingles curling up, it's not a good plan. It just doesn't look good for the community. You've got to do something to really make a difference. So we put a brand new sign out there in 1980. Lisa could tell you the year, 1985, 1986. I went by that congregation not long ago. Guess what sign they've got up? Same one we put up, dug the holes for in 1980-something. Still there. Good quality sign, though, I want to tell you. I mean, we bought a good quality sign when we bought a sign. But that sign's ragged. What's 1985 to 20, we're 35 years, 36 years later. And they painted over the phone number a time or two and repainted a phone number. And the, the bottom wood across it's rotted out and hanging down, all that kind of stuff. I said it was good quality. I didn't say it would last 40 years. I don't want to be that church. I want to be the church that cares about what we're doing I held a meeting in a place one time, and on the last Sunday of the meeting, there were people that were collecting money in the foyer because one of their members was headed to Las Vegas and was going to place bets for people in the congregation at Las Vegas. I promise you, I'm going, it's unbelievable. Regardless of your view of gambling, it just blows my mind from a congregational standpoint. And we're taking bets in the back, back foyer of the church house because I'm headed to Vegas as soon as this meeting's over. Had another experience, and from Houston, myself and another guy, we were driving miles, I mean like literally two or three hours of driving to go do a Bible study with a congregation. They were a small, struggling congregation, and we were trying to help that small, struggling congregation, cared about them, wanting good things for them, and making in my opinion, a lot of sacrifice to do that. I mean, we were going, doing a Bible study, and we were driving two or three hours to get there. We would do supper together. We'd do a Bible study through the evening. We'd drive home, get home one or two o'clock in the morning kind of deal. 
Well, one night we drove, and we'd been going through multiple, I mean, we were doing this once a week kind of deal, and at some point in time, we showed up, and, and we, we were at the supper part of that meeting, and I went into the living room, sat there, and there's another young man that went to church there that was sitting there, and I said, how's your day? It seemed pretty benign to me, and he says, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know. How was your day? I, it just seemed like a pretty simple question. And he said, well, I don't know if I can talk to you about it or not. And I said, okay, well, then don't talk to me about it. That's all right. And he said, well, I don't know how you feel about it. And I said, I don't know either because I don't know. I was just asking you how your day was. And he said, well, I was told that not to talk to you about it because they didn't know on what side of this position you were on. But all day today, we've been in Shreveport, Louisiana, and we've been on the gambling boats or whatever they do in Shreveport, Louisiana. I've got to be honest with you, folks. I was ticked. We'd been making sacrifice to try to help this congregation, and all it appeared, I'm not, I don't know their heart, but it appeared all they were doing was playing games. Let's go do whatever we want to go do during the day. Let's just, you know, let's go drink and gamble and know everything else we want to do during the day. And then at night, let's sit down and have Bible study with Brother Ty and let's all look like we're Christians. I'm, I'll just be honest with you. I haven't been back since. Not interested in going back. And I care about the church. I care about the church there. To this day, I care about them. But I don't care about that kind of stuff. I don't want to be that church. There was a congregation we worked with years ago. They had a window of opportunity. They had three young families, all had children. One of those families had three children, another family had four children, another family had three boys. And there were three boys, four boys, total four boys out of those three families and a ton of girls out of those three families. There was a window of opportunity that that small struggling congregation really could have made a difference. If those families had keyed in, had geared in, had committed themselves and worked with their young people and all, I mean, there was such an opportunity there for them. And they had struggled for years. They had an opportunity here. And I will tell you in brief, there's a lot of complexities to these situations. I'm not trying just trying to get the simplified concept across. One of those families, their love was playing baseball and basketball and soccer and all that. I mean, that's what they lived, ate, breathed, slept. That was their life. And one of the other families just spent their entire time. Dad loved to hunt. And he was gone all the time hunting, never really at church. Mom was just doing her own thing and she was interested in checking out every weird thing that was happening in the world wanted to be a part of that this all predated Facebook and all that stuff where all the weirdness nowadays can come from maybe and the other family they were going to be there but they were just dedicated to working all the time and doing their thing and I, I'm going to move forward 20 years you go to that congregation today and none of those young people go to church there None. Zero. Go to church there. The man and woman, the man that hunted and the woman that was just kind of into odd stuff all the time, uh, they had four daughters, and every one of those daughters not associated with the church today, and mom and dad divorced. 
another family that had three sons there. Kids not a part of the Lord's church today. And mom and dad of that family don't talk to mom and dad of the other family because they don't get along with one another. And that the family that was sports related, they, they lived, ate, and breathed sports. Guess what they do today? Son's a coach and mom's, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. And they live and eat sports today. That's what they spent their life training their kids to do, and that's what their kids do. I'm not anti-sports. I'm just saying I don't want to be the church that that's the most important thing to me. Or the most important thing to me is work, or the most important thing. I want the most important thing to be the church. And so I tried to explain to my home congregation, College Park, that if you ever get to just wondering why Ty is as passionate about what we're doing as we are, it's because every time we sit in our congregation and somebody says, oh, well, we have softball Saturday night, that's what's going through my brain. And it just fires up my spine, like, you know, up and down, like, I can't take this anymore. We're destroying the Lord's church because of this type of stuff. And it's not that one person's fault. Anybody can have a softball game. I grant you, I'm just trying to explain to you my inner feelings when we're going, when we're trying to explain this kind of stuff. We start talking about, you know, off the wall type stuff. And, and my spine, it just fires off. My brain goes, synaptic gaps start you know, short-circuiting, because I'm living all of these experiences. Our baptistry gets a little dirty, and the heater doesn't work, and the whatever, and I'm like going, we're the Lord's church. We ought to be able to have a baptistry. That's what I'm thinking. So I just want to explain that to you a little bit, and I just want to change the title of my sermon to something more positive so that Sean will be happy with me tonight. And I'm going to call it, I want us to be that church. Okay? So, but I, I, the background gives you a little bit of context as to why I want to talk about this stuff. What about our passion for the Lord's church? You know, the Bible says in Titus 2 and verse number 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's the church I want to be. I want to be the church that cares about what it's doing. I want to have passion in what it is we're doing. And when I think about passion, I think about passion from an evangelistic standpoint. Are we preaching the gospel to people? Are we talking to people about salvation? Are we talking to people about the church? What about in our giving? Are we passionate in our giving? Is it something we care about? The things that we can accomplish throughout this time? And I will tell you, it, uh, and it's, a, I think, amazing but all during COVID at College Park, this is going to sound weird, but it's really true. We had been working for a long time. I'm not telling Wheeler what to do. I'm just telling you what we did in our congregation. For a long time, we had been discussing and working on how to do electronic giving. Like Give Plus app, things like that. That's what we ended up doing was Give Plus app. But trying to figure out how can we do that scripturally and how can we do it. And the reason why we were doing it had nothing to do with COVID. It predated COVID. It had to do with the fact that we had millennials that were going to church. And they don't carry a checkbook. And they don't carry cash. And they carry a card 
I don't understand you guys, but there are people like you out there. I know that. I'm smart enough to know that that's the case. So how can we do that? They're writing, and Lisa and I are the same but different. We write checks for everything. We don't do electronic banking. I say we don't. We didn't for a long time. We kind of tried to enter into that world a little. But I would write one check a month. Lisa wrote all the checks, but my one check a month was for a haircut. And that's what I wrote a check for. Outside of that, Lisa gave me cash to spend or whatever. That's the world we lived in. But there are millennials out there in our congregation. They didn't have anything but a bank card. That's all they carried with them. How can we help that and still be scriptural and accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, those kind of things? So we got approval for Give Plus, which is the app we ended up using for contribution. And that approval came through all the banking that had to be set up and all that kind of stuff. And it came through the Tuesday before COVID hit. And through COVID, it was amazing. I don't know what your congregation did. Maybe y'all held on to your contributions, gave them the next Sunday, whatever those kind of things were. But our congregation went a majority electronic giving. You know what happened to our contributions during that period of time? During COVID, with our, car, with our people just being hit on every side, not being able to go to church and all that sort of stuff, our contributions went up across the year of COVID. It's amazing. What about passion in our giving? That we really do care about what it is we're doing. We care about the Lord's church. What about passion in our teaching? Well, I can tell you some of this kind of came to a head at College Park one time. And... On a Sunday night, we had a young man got up and gave a sermon, and it was awful. I just want to tell you, awful. A-U-F-U-L, awful. It was not a good sermon. After the sermon was over, I was the only elder present when the sermon was given. He was a young man. I didn't want to just destroy him publicly in front of everyone, although he kind of destroyed himself. It was awful. And, but as soon as the service was over, I should have gone to the young man, and I didn't. I called a co-elder and I said, you need to pull the CD on that sermon. You need to listen to it. and We need to have a talk with the young man. And he said, I'll do that. We barely even got moving on it. And on Wednesday night, I did not know it, but that young man went as a guest speaker to another congregation and guess what he preached on? Awful. My phone went to ringing on Thursday going, what in the world I mean, the guy quoted from the book of Enoch, and I mean, it was just, it was awful, okay? I said, I heard the sermon. We'll deal with it from the College Park perspective. We'll take care of it. But it was at that moment that things changed at College Park for us. And I'm not saying that we were bad beforehand or anything, but it changed. Our elders at that moment became elders officially and our congregation understood that we needed elders officially and we sat down and we called a meeting of every one of our teachers and we said to our teachers here's some things we need from you and you're not going to be in the pulpit unless we get these things period we love you we care about you but we can't do this Jerry and I are chasing our tail trying to keep up with the chaos that's going on in this 
in, this, in the growth of our congregation, the things that are happening in our congregation, we're not going to do it anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to train our people to give good Bible sermons. That's what we're going to do. And things changed at our congregation. And we did a teacher training across three months on Wednesday nights. And we expected our guys to do it and be there. And if they didn't do it, they had to watch it on video and come talk to the elders about what they saw on the video. And then we were going to talk about how to build sermons. And then we're going to talk about how to deliver sermons. And the big thing was this. If you're going to preach, expect the elders to visit with you about your sermon. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. But if you get up and give some, because here's the problem. That young man gave an awful sermon that night. I didn't talk to him about it. I could have saved him the embarrassment of Wednesday night. I feel awful that I didn't do that. I should have pulled him aside that evening and said, listen, you need to, you know, that thing needs to go in the trash can. That's not going to work. But I didn't do that. And we pulled that young man aside, and we did the same thing. And the first thing I did to the young man is I apologized to him. I said, I am sorry because I should have talked to you and I could have saved you a lot of embarrassment, a lot of things if I'd have visited with you about it. And the young man received it very well, I might add. Very classy. He said, you know, that might have been a better subject to discuss maybe with a bunch of guys hanging around just discussing some potential possibilities of Bible than to give from the pulpit of the Lord's church. And he's right. A discussion item maybe to, you know, chat around the table. Yeah, not a sermon. And ever since that time, it's changed at College Park. We want a standard that says we care about our teaching. We care about who our young men are, what they're teaching, what the message is, how they're teaching it. It matters to us. It matters as a congregation. We need some organization. We need some structure that's going to allow us to take care of business. What about your passion? What about your passion in singing? You know, it's real easy to come into church and sit back and settle in and nest up. and It's a whole different deal to sit there and go, I'm going to engage in what's going on. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to sing praise to God. I loved it yesterday. Somebody made this comment in y'all's crowd and said that there's an audience of one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. That's what we're here for. We're praising the Lord Jesus Christ. We're studying his word. It's about him. What about your passion? In singing. Say, well, I'm not a singer. You don't have to be a singer. Sing. God wants you to sing. He wants to hear your voice. Sing. What about your vision? You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 29, verse number 18, where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. People say, you can't use that verse talking about vision because that's talking about, the, well, what the vision there is is that you would use the vision laid out in Scripture because he that keepeth the law, happy is he. In the context of that, the vision there is the Lord's vision. It's the word of God vision. What's your vision for the congregation at Wheeler? What's our vision at College Park? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Where are we trying to go with, with the Lord's church? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to be fancy? Are we trying to please God? Are we trying to not care like the church at Laodicea? Ho-hum, another church service. Or do we have some passion and vision about what it is that God wants us to do? What's your vision in the congregation or maybe even you directly in the way of personal development? 
Are you learning? Are you growing every day? Are you studying the Word of God? What's your prayer life like? Are you working on yourself? Are you working on self-improvement? Are you working on doing that? We're going to talk about some of that this week. Some of those things that we can do along those lines of personal development. What about our families? You're a father of a family. What's your vision for your family? What do you want out of your family? You want your kids to get an education? They'll get an education. You want your kids to know how to swing a baseball bat? They'll know how to swing a baseball bat. If you want them to know the Word of God, your family will know the Word of God. I'm telling you, if you don't have a vision about what it is that you're trying to do and it be a godly vision for your family, you're going to end up being that church that doesn't care. I don't want you to be that church. What's your vision for congregational growth? What are you going to do? What's the congregation Wheeler going to do when there are 150 people? What are they going to do when there are 300 people? How do you ever get to 300 people if you operate like 30 people? That was our challenge at College Park. If we keep doing things like we're 30 people, which was our struggle, we'll never be 200 people because the structure of how we're taking care of things won't operate. We had somebody just recently said, why don't we take a vote? We're not voting. That's not what the Lord's church is. We are elder-led congregations. We're not voting. We're not taking a vote. You want to take a vote about what color the chairs are, fine. But we're not taking a vote on what the Lord's church is. It's not who we are. What's our vision related to congregational growth? And then I think about ministries of the congregation, things the congregation's involved in. I think about College Park and the things that we're a part of. And I think about communion as a ministry. We've got a rule at College Park, again, not telling Wheeler it needs to be your rule. I'm just telling you it's our rule. We've, we use four containers under normal pre-COVID circumstances. We use four large containers, all hold about 40 containers in them. And our rule is fill every container every time. You want to know why that rule's there? Because we don't want an episode where 23 people walk in one Sunday morning and we don't have communion set and can't supply communion that Sunday. I'm telling you, that's the reason. And I promise you, our people at times go, why in the world are we doing that? We are wasting so much grape juice. We are throwing grape juice away. What are we going to do? We're throwing grape juice away. Trust us. The grape juice budget, we're okay. The $4 a month it's costing us in grape juice we're okay. We are the Lord's church, and we're going to set communion on Sunday. And we're going to prepare as though every one of you have been inviting people to come. And we're going to expect people from the community to come and be a part. And we're going to expect visitors to be there. And we're going to be ready for them because we're the Lord's church. And if the Lord's church can't do communion, what can the Lord's church do? We're the Lord's church and we're keeping the suffering and the sacrifice of Christ alive every Sunday. That's, if ever there's a mission for us, there it is. And we can't do communion? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We're, we're saying communion. We're the Lord's church. I got another story to tell you. There's a little organization in our area that asked our church to come sing for some 
some little widow ladies. And the organization is called In Loving Kindness. And there's not but three or four ladies live in this home. And, and it might be Alzheimer's. It might be other dementia or other issues. It may be none of those. It may be they just need a place that cares for them. But there's only three, four, maybe five or six ladies at a time that live in that house. But they ask us to come once a month and spend 30 minutes singing, maybe read a scripture or two just to encourage these little old ladies. I'm not proud to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you this story. One of our young men came up to us, and they said, is there not any way we cannot do in loving kindness? No one wants to do in loving kindness. And I'll be honest with you, my heart was broken. And here's my answer to the young man. If we can't do in loving kindness, we got bigger problems as a church than in loving kindness. If we can't go sing to four or five little widow ladies, and that's an inconvenience for our people, we got bigger problems than in loving kindness. Now that same young man called me the next day and he goes, hey man, I'm sorry, you know. But I can also promise you that when I answered that, it wasn't quite as calm as when I gave it to you because every synaptic gap in my brain was firing off going, I'm not going to be that church. I don't want to be that church. I want to be the church that cares about the ministries that we're involved in. We're going to be passionate about it. We're going to love what we're doing. We're going to work at it because it is what we are. It is who we are. We care about these ladies. They have asked us to come sing for 30 minutes. We got a congregation of 120 people and the living room can't hold them all. Don't tell me we can't get Six people to go sing for 30 minutes out of 120 people once a month. What a burden. Now I will tell you, our congregation struggled with some things. And it really wasn't the young man's fault. Here's what was happening in our congregation. No one was planning it. No one was organizing it. No one, the structure wasn't set to take care of in loving kindness. And what was happening is... A young man, another young man would just go up to people on Sunday afternoon and go, can you go to In Loving Kindness tonight? 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 And people are going, I have plans. I'm trying to, you know. Because the structure wasn't set in place. It became painful for a congregation of people to go do the simplest mission. Something's wrong. But you remember that night I told you our elders really became elders and our congregation kind of finally realized our elders are going to be elders and our elders are going to elder and our deacons are going to deacon that's what we're going to expect them to do our teachers are going to teach the word of God part of elders responsibility and I put it at our feet it really wasn't a young man's fault we put that young man in a position to where he even was even tempted to come ask the elders is there a way we cannot do this because we needed some structure something some judgment in place where there was preparation and thoughtfulness that we could go take care of this and a vision for what it was that we were trying to do with that that our congregation would buy into. Look at what the Bible says, James 1 verse number 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. You can talk to me about a million different things, but I'm telling you there is a Bible verse that says that's pure religion. And if you can't do that, something's wrong. 
We got bigger problems than going to sing for 30 minutes once a month. Now I will tell you that young man didn't have an evil heart at all. He didn't. That young man was just thinking if we're going to utilize our time and we're going to plan appropriately, don't we need to try to utilize our people in appropriate places and maybe be able to get more results or whatever. He wasn't evil. But you know, if we can't take care of the small things, why in the world do we think God's going to want us to be faithful in larger things? Those are Bible principles. What about hospitality? Is that a mission in the church? Is that a ministry in the church? The Bible says in Romans 12, verse number 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. What about hospitality? Well, that's going to require some time and effort and planning and sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be the kind of church that's willing to do that, not the kind of church that doesn't care. Again, talk about our giving. I want to be the kind of church that cares about our giving. During COVID, we had a project. I told you that our contributions went up. Not only did they go up, but we adjusted our, month, our budget across the year to a 48-week budget and went to Fifth City contributions being special contributions for, to pay off our building and some other projects that were going on. And contributions doubled on the fifth Sunday for those special projects and paying the building off and things like that that needed to happen. And for years, we've struggled just thinking, man, we got to make payments on this thing, you know. We need to get this thing paid off. But it doubled because people were purposing that to happen. Just telling you, it changed a few years ago. And it changed because we were trying to teach we got to have a passion, a vision, even in our giving and what we're doing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 17, the young man Timothy was told by Paul to charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know what Timothy was told to go teach as an evangelist? You tell rich people don't trust in uncertain riches. How many of y'all realize riches are uncertain? How many of y'all have figured that out in the last few years? Well, I can tell you in my lifetime, I'm not extremely old. I'm 57 years old. To some of you, that may seem very old, but I'm not to others of you. I'm a young child, right? But during my short lifetime, Lisa and I married in 83. I'm telling you, in the early 80s, you could go into our part of the country and there were empty houses everywhere with HUD labels on them because foreclosure was everywhere. Oil and gas had collapsed. That was in the early 80s. How many of y'all remember 2008, 2007, 2008? Foreclosed houses everywhere because of the collapse in the economy that took place here in America right as Bush was leaving office and Obama was coming into office. How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all know riches are uncertain? How many of y'all have seen the last year or two what's going on? Weird markets, weird things happen. How many of you realize riches are uncertain? And the Bible, the Apostle Paul told the young man Timothy, Tell rich people not to be stuck on themselves and think there's something special. And tell them to be careful not to trust in things that are uncertain. But in fact, what they really need to be doing is they need to be ready to distribute. They need to be willing to share. They need to be willing to help 
in ways they can. They need to use those talents that, of making money to help the kingdom and push the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our budget at College Park is about 3000 bucks a Sunday, 12000 bucks a month. That, that translates to what? Ten months would be $120,000 a year. Another couple of months at 12 is 24. What is that? $144,000 a year, right at it. You know what we spend? $144,000 a year. Because that's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be the kind of church that's pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We're pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be the church that doesn't care about that. What about our assembly? What's your passion and vision? What about in our assembly? Helping, caring about it. Looking alive. We're here, we're paying attention, we're engaging in it, we're learning from it. There was a young lady years ago called me, true story. And she grew up in a congregation, sat in a pew, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then she called me years later, she had married and got kids. And, and anyway, she finally, she's on the phone and she wasn't going to church. And, and in my world, if you're not going to church somewhere else, you're free game for us to call you and invite you to come to church. And so I was talking to her about it. And she said, well, there's another church down here and they have such and such name, a such and such brand type church. She goes, is there a difference? She grew up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, going to church. She ain't got a clue what was going on. Kind of reminded me of the years that I was coaching my uh, little girls in softball. And they were little girls. I mean like, you know, eight years old, six years old type time frame, little girls. And I was the coach. We lost every game but one, and that was because the other team didn't have enough people showed up. And they forfeited, so we won a game that year. It was an exciting moment for the head coach, you know. But let me tell you what I spent the entire year telling little girls to do. Stop kicking the dirt. Stop. Watch the ball. Hey, little Susie, stop kicking the dirt. Pay attention to where the ball's at. You know, little Susie had a uniform on. She had a hat on her head. She had a glove in her hand. She ain't got a clue where the ball's at. And we got people going to church that's that way. They don't have a clue what's going on. And they're sitting in a pew every Sunday. I don't want to be that church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 12, we used this yesterday. Even so much for as much as you are zealous, spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. If you're a teacher in this congregation, do you care about what it is you're doing? Do you care about the teaching? Do you care about it being edifying? Do you care about it? I'm telling you, there, I, the experiences I could tell you, and it fires off synaptic gaps in my brain. I try to control them. But a guy gets up and goes, well, I didn't really have anything prepared tonight, but I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes proving it to you. It's awful. Don't do that to the Lord's church. We're the Lord's church. We care about the Lord's church. We can clean the baptistry and we can fix the heater. I know they didn't have them in New Testament Christianity, but I know when it's cold and icy outside, it's a really nice thing to have. We can definitely keep dead stuff from floating in the water. We care about the Lord's church. We ought to have some passion about it. We ought to care about it. What about evangelism? 
You know, I've talked to you a little bit about caring about our giving, things like that. I'm telling you, folks don't understand, but what you do in giving directly relates to the ability of the church to evangelize and support its sales force out in the front lines. I'm telling you, it directly affects it. And your elders are even, and I've not talked to them about this. I'm just saying that if they're like any elders anywhere, they're evaluating a spreadsheet that says over the last year, last year we brought in $144,000. We need $36,000 to go over here and $24,000 to go over here and $12,000 to go over here. And we got to pay a light bill because we need air conditioning. And, we, and, you know, and there's going to be so many dollars that go into this category. And when it's said and done, there's $2,000 left over for evangelism. Really? That's our passion for evangelism. That's what we're going to do for evangelism. I don't want to be that church. I don't want College Park to be that church. I want College Park to write a large check. I want College Park to be on the forefront. I want College Park to care about their evangelist and what they're doing. I want us to support them. Care about it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12 says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And there become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Do you know what the Apostle Paul was writing to the Hebrews about? He says, you ought to be growing in Christ, but instead we kind of got to keep coming back and teaching first principles to you. And there ought to be a time you ought to stand up and be men. You ought to stand up and be adults. You ought to stand up and be grown up. You ought to figure out, and, and we get a guy that stands behind the table and he mentions something about money, and all of a sudden people are going, oh, I just can't believe he said something about money. I can't believe that. Dear. Or what are we, denominations? They talk about money. We're not going to support the Lord's church if we don't talk about money, if we don't support it. We're not going to have a building. We're not going to have facilities. We're not going to have the ability to do different ministries, things like that, if we don't have support for it. And I just want to share with you. You know, in the Houston area, there's some churches that don't even exist anymore that used to exist. Breaks my heart. They've closed the doors, some of those congregations. I say churches, I mean congregations. They've closed the doors on them. There's a lot of reasons why. It's It's a fairly complex thing, but comes down to some fairly simple things to some degree or another, but comes down to the principle we're talking about. It got to a point no one was caring about what the Lord's church was doing. They closed the doors. I'm talking about a lot of it. There's more complexities. I understand there's different reasons and different things, but I'm saying, generally speaking, the Houston area, if I can tell you part of what happened was 1950s, there were some brethren that were fighting with one another, not loving each other, not caring about each other. And you know what happened as they fought? Their young kids were watching them fight. They didn't want to have anything to do with the church afterwards. Because I can tell you a whole lot. I may not know everything about the Bible, but I can tell you if you don't love one another, you don't understand God. So we could disagree on a lot of different stuff, but if you don't love each other, Something's wrong. So congregations over time, it's, it's just really a sad story. Most of the congregations we're affiliated with today were congregations that basically they were men years ago that were in their 30s or so, got withdrawn from by congregations or people in congregations. And they went and they didn't have elders, they didn't have deacons, they, didn't have, they were just trying to have a church. 
And those congregations over time have tried to, they've struggled, but yet they've tried to come together and, and go, let's have a church in our community. And that's kind of where we're at over the last 30 or 40 years. And you know, it's real easy today for maybe elders today or deacons today or people today to sit in a business meeting or, or and talk about the Lord's church and say, well, you know, those people made these decisions back when and, and they were thinking this and all that. And, and we could do that all day long. But I want to tell you, honestly, this isn't their time. They had their time. And they squandered their time fighting with each other. They squandered their time not caring about the Lord's church. But do you know who's sitting in those meetings today? Ty's sitting in those meetings today. Jerry Lowry's sitting in those meetings today. David Zeebach's sitting in those meetings today. Garland Dukes is sitting in those meetings today. Sean Zeebach's sitting in those meetings today. There's brethren and sisters at times sitting and discussing the Lord's church. They're sitting in those. You know what? This is our time. This is not 1950 time. This is not 1970 time or 80 time or 90s time. This is our time to sit in the room and our voice be heard that we're going to have a church that the Lord would be pleased with, that the Lord would be happy with. And we are going to do our dead level best to preach the gospel and push the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a hostile takeover. What I'm saying is this is our time. This is our responsibility. It's in our lap. We can shuffle it off to the next generation. We cannot care about it for the next 20 years. And then the next generation comes up, half of them come up and go, what are we going to do and how are we going to do this? And, or we can care about the decisions we're making today. And this could be our time to make good decisions related to the Lord's church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 16 says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know what redeeming means? To buy up. To rescue from loss. I don't want to die in 20 years. I don't know when I'll die. I could die tomorrow. I could die 20 years from now, 40 years from now. I don't know. But I already told you I'm 57 years old. 20 years from now, I'm 77 years old. I've got 20 years, and it ain't 50 years any longer. It isn't 60 years any longer. It's not 30 years any longer. It's 20 years before I'm the guy that's sitting in the meeting and other people are going, put your ear at 810, Grandpa. I know you couldn't hear, but that's what we decided last month. 20 years. And the, the question is with this scripture, what am I going to do with the 20 years? Am I going to squander it, waste it away? Or am I going to do something with it? Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. I love the first part of that phrase. Walk in wisdom toward those that are without. Those that are without the church, walk in wisdom. with. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you do. Let's be careful as a church what we're doing in, in spreading the gospel to the world. How we're doing that. But remember... Redeem the time. This is our time. Colossians 4, adding to the next verse, verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Redeem the time. Now's the time. This is our time. It's your time. Tonight, we're going to sing an invitation song. It's your time. Do I sit here 
Or do I put my feet in the kingdom? Do I sit here and, and say, well, you know, it'd be great if other people, you know, I'm, I'm headed home. We didn't get a cheeseburger tonight. You can do that or you can care about what we're doing. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.